You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda, and um, we're going to do a follow-up to our series, Gateway to a New Economy. This is part eight. Uh, Now, the purpose of this series, we're just really continually giving you an update on uh, the economy, but from the perspective of what's really going on, not what they are telling you um, in the media, but it's what what is really going on as they are moving uh, from a service economy to a digital slash AI economy slash AI slash robotic economy. So uh, with that said, if you remember in the series at the uh, first or two episodes, I kind of went over um, Secretary Powell's 60-minute interview, uh, got pretty detailed. I read through the transcripts and we kind of broke it down. And um, in that interview, he talked about what would be the threats for the U.S. economy not recovering. And one of the threats that uh, he brought up several times was a cyber attack. So a couple of, uh, one other time I kind of, you know, brought back into perspective because right after uh, Secretary Powell did that interview, that 60-minute interview, which, by the way, was a soft disclosure. And I highly recommend you go back and listen to that interview because he revealed a lot. Uh, but at, right after that interview, literally a week later, there was a cyber attack. Okay, so last week, what happened? Another cyber attack um, to the point where they were talking about some uh, beef planting places or packing places, rather, were being attacked. And this could affect the beefing industry, also could affect the food supply. So immediately my antennas went up saying this is yet another disclosure on the vulnerability of the food supply. Um, And even during the shutdown, we saw the same thing with uh, chicken plants being shut down and it was a shortage in chicken, uh, a shortage of uh, goods being able to be kept on the shelves, et cetera, et cetera. All right. But remember... Secretary Powell said that a cyber threat could be one of the reasons that the economy does not fully recover. So uh, on June 6th, Forbes magazine uh, printed an article saying that private equity pushes deeper into cybersecurities as ransomware attacks ramp up. 
Um, I'll read this and then and then I'll give a little bit more commentary on this whole cyber attacks and whom they are trying to blame them on. We'll we'll get a little bit into that as well. So in early May, a cyber attack. That's right. I forgot about the colonial pipeline. Yeah, so yeah, it's been one cyber attack after another, after another, after another. Okay, so in early May, a cyber attack at Colonial Pipeline prompted chaotic gas shortage up and down the East Coast. How could I forget about that one, y'all? Because folks couldn't get gas, this, that, and the third. This week, a similar hack wrecked havoc on the operations of JBS, one of the world's largest meat processors. Both were examples of rapidly growing trend of ransomware. Virtual attacks where criminals hold a company system hostage until a payoff is made, often in the untraceable form of Bitcoin. All right. Now, I find that strange. I'm just saying. My antennas go up that folk want to do cyber security attacks and they're using Bitcoin as the form of payment. Now, anybody that follows the crypto market, you know, Bitcoin went from 60 something thousand that was at its high all the way down to, I think today as we speak, it's like 30-something and some change. Uh, 35, 35, 35 and some change. Okay, so basically pretty much half of what it was at its one high. Now, there's been rumbling in the uh, crypto market that Bitcoin is totally being attacked on purpose to usher in other forms of cryptocurrencies, specifically what the Fed wants to use. So they want to knock uh, Bitcoin out of its slot. Um, And it could very well be, but bottom line, um, if you have a little bit of investing knowledge, you will understand that once these things hit their highs, the people, and usually it's... uh, you really can't say hedge fund in cryptos, but groups that hold a large amount of that particular investment, they'll dump. They'll dump it to take the profits, okay? All right, so it could be a combination of both with Bitcoin. So, all right, let me stay focused because we'll get a little bit more on crypto in a little bit. For corporations in every sector, these high-profile incidents have highlighted the ever-increasing need to make sure that digital infrastructure is properly protected from black hat hackers, right? So sorry, I said I was going to get off the crypto, but since they put that in there, I got to add this in there. So another component to... The wild swing in the crypto market is that um, the Alphabet Boys financial body of work, so the SEC regulatory is what I'm trying to say, regulatory folk, so meaning SEC, etc., 
they are going to wrap around legislation and regulations around the entire crypto market. So peep game. You hopefully you get where I'm coming from. Now they're saying that these cyber attacks are happening and the hackers are asking for payment in Bitcoin, which as of now, because of the way the technology is set up, it is untraceable. Remember we talked about that originally Bitcoin was a huge market for what they call the black market. It was a huge uh, market to money launder, to wash money, all right? So really it was only the gamers using Bitcoin and they were just messing around with it, with each other, playing around with games, passing them back and forth to each other. But the underworld market or the black market was using it to money launder to not track their cash transaction on the illicit activities that they were doing. Okay, so this is why I say, now this is just my lowly two cent, that I feel that someone on the Alphabet Agency side was behind the creation of the technology. Because they also use those same underworld money laundering for the purpose of funding their covert operations where they can't get funding from. Okay, now again, that's just my personal opinion, etc., etc. So, to me, this is just me, this is how my mind thinks. It's twofolds with these cyber attacks. It's, gonna, it's more than twofolds, but we'll talk about the main two. Two folds. Number one, it is it can definitely be a weapon used to say that the economy cannot recover properly or why the economy crashed, right? Not the real reason is because of the dollar has no more value because of all of this money printing that is, is going on. Okay. And then the second um, portion is to wrap regulations around Bitcoin, not only Bitcoin, but the entire crypto market. So it can be tracked who owns what, when it was sold, and also in order to levy taxes against those transactions, okay, which they have already started to do. So now all of these crypto exchanges, they must report when folk have sold their assets, when they have cashed out their assets. So those gains, those gains can be taxed accordingly which is also why they are trying to uh, somehow figure out, and I'm guessing they're going to try to regulate you being able to put your uh, 
crypto, sorry, I'm trying to think of the right word so people that don't really understand it, it, it'll be clear to them. People that use digital wallets and digital wallets are nothing more than kind of like a USB drive to house your um, digital currency on. So they're also trying to find a way how to track that, which good luck with that because I don't see how you can track something on a USB slash digital wallet, okay? But so just keep all of that in mind. So for corporations in every sector, these high-profile incidents have highlighted the ever-increasing need to make sure that digital infrastructure is properly protected from black hat hackers. It is top of the mind for every single company now, said Ian Loring, a longtime executive at Bain Capital, who's now a managing partner at Crosspoint Capital Partners, a new firm that focuses on investment in the cybersecurity space. There's just a massive push in that direction by all corporations. All right. Anybody that's looking to get into the tech space as a career, cybersecurity is huge. It is very, very huge. All right. And that push is creating a massive opportunities for investors like Crosspoint. Crosspoint was founded last year by Loring and a list of industry luminaries, <clears throat> including former Somatic CEO Greg Clark, former Seagate CEO Steve Luxo, and cybersecurity expert Hugh Thompson. This April, the firm closed its uh, debit Dubai fund on $1.3 billion, one of the largest pools of capital collected in recent years in a fundraising effort. The firm's launch came at a time when the largest private equity industry is pursuing investments in cybersecurity like never before. Globally last year, globally, last year bought 116 buyouts in the space and 49 private equity growth investments, both of which were new annual highs, according to PitchBook data. The combined value of those deals reached $19.2 billion, which was 92% higher than any other year on record, with the exception of 2016, when data was skewed by Silver Lake's involvement in Dell's $67 billion acquisition of EMC. The surge is continuing in 2021, with private investors on pace to set record for both deal count and deal value in cybersecurity. In April, Thomas Bravo announced what will be the largest buyout ever in the space, again, per PitchBook data, striking a deal to buy Proofpoint for $12.3 billion. See, I told you, you're looking to get into tech, cybersecurity is huge. A simple explanation for the trend is that private equity firms are following the money. As the risk of ransomware attack and other threats become difficult to ignore, companies are increasing 
ex expenditures on cyber safety, which is great for business of the other companies trying to ensure that safety. More people are concerned about protection and reaction to these problems than they are about cost, which means the sector probably grows at an outsized rate, said Clark, the former Somatic CEO who has worked in the cyber defense industry for three decades. That's one of the big reasons there's a lot of interest in cyber. And the other thing is cyber permeates everything now. Plenty of private equity firms are pursuing cybersecurity investment these days with uh, Thomas Bravo. I don't know if it's Tama or Thomas. I'm assuming it's Thomas, but anyway. Bravo, KKR, TPG Capital, and Insight Partners, among the other firms that have struck headline-grabbing deals in recent years. But there are a few private equity shops out there focused solely on the industry. That was part of the motivation for Loring Clark and the rest of Crosspoint founders in a sector where cutting-edge technology is crucial. They believe finding attractive investment require a lot more expertise beyond parsing, balancing sheets, and planning restructuring. So in other words, they need some people that know the tech side, to know the company that they're trying to buy, if they have cutting-edge leveraging technology on cybersecurity. All right. Um, despite how much activity there is and how fast it's growing, how big a space it is, there still isn't a depth of competition that there would be in other sections, Loring said. It's a big market, but it's one where you need to bring technical chops in addition to traditional investment underwriting experience. Okay, so they just said what I said. Basically, they need the tech people. It's not so much about the money making people that's looking at a company's balance sheet and looking at the health of a company to see if it's a good buy because what difference does it make if they have a good balance sheet and they're a healthy company, but their technology is 30 years behind. You've bought a worthless company. So therefore, they're hiring uh, tech experts to do their due diligence to make sure that it's worth buying the technology. Because at the end of the day, that's what they're buying. They're buying the technology of these cybersecurity companies. So bear with me. We're going to get through this and then tie it all together. It's also an industry where the threats a company are trying to combat can take many forms and where those threats can extend to the private equity firms that back such a company. Late last year, SolarWinds disclosed that its software had been infiltrated by hackers who were able to push a malware-written software update to thousands of the company's customers. Bravo and Silver Lake were solo wins major backers during that time the hack was believed to occur. Controversially, the two firms combined to sell off $459 million in SolarWinds stock less than a week before the hack was publicly announced. This week, both were added as defendants to a class action lawsuit 
being brought by Solar Wind shareholders. Ciao. Let me sip some water. Hunty, hunty, hunty. Ain't that insider trading? Ain't that what Martha Stewart got locked up for? Somebody told her that um, a pharmaceutical drug wasn't fin finna get approved. Dump that stock. That's what she did, and her ass got locked up behind it. So, uh, uh, uh how you gonna have a breach, child? How you gonna have a hack breach, child? You sell stock before that breach is being announced to the public. Your ass need to go to jail. In addition to the class action lawsuit. You see how they be doing stuff, family? Ciao. All right, let me keep going. Uh, uh, uh. These days, though, it's ransomware that's grabbing all the headlines. When I asked Clark about the danger of this particular form of attack, he cited the connection of many ransomware hackers to foreign governments and the untraceable nature of Bitcoin as two contributing factors. Okay, I got to stop here. Now we got to get into the other thing that I wanted to talk, talk about. Now, they're blaming these recent hacks coming up out of Russia. Now, before, remember, they were blaming it on China. Okay? Let me tell you something. None of that is coincidental. Those that have been in tech for a little bit of time, okay? So I came into tech in the 90s, and I can tell you this. The Russians are the best coders that I have ever to date in my career seen. I'm going to say that again. Just based on my experience, I came into tech in the 90s. And I'm telling you that the Russians are the best coders that I have ever seen in my career. I was absolutely floored how good they were. Because back then, we were dealing with what today we call legacy systems, and they were even legacy systems back then, all right? And the goal was to get those legacy systems um, secure and mainly get those legacy systems, shut them down. So in other words, develop total new systems and put those systems to rest. Now, those legacy systems, they are some heavy-duty systems, family. We talking the mainframe, um, the big supercomputers. Um, you could think of the IBM big supercomputers, but there are software development programs put on those computers to make them run or talk to the supercomputers. That particular 
software coding language, and I'm not going to call it, you old heads, you know what that language is. That's military. Now, coming up in the tech game, as I was coming into the game, you had the old military engineers leaving out of the game. That's how I found out it was military. So, are you getting where I'm going with that? So, they had to bring the Russians over because the military folk were retiring. They were literally retiring. And who knew that language like the back of their hand when I'm when I tell you all that they were sharp, they were precise. It was nothing that you could not ask them that they did not know. And they were not old folk. Okay, we were all young back then. So Back then, we were all young. I am telling you what I've witnessed in my career. So fast forward to now. You mean to tell me that there's hackers coming up out of Russia and I'm not supposed to find that coincidental? Huh? It's no telling family what they have access to, what programs they're able to hack into. Now, the tinfoil hat in me say that these particular agencies are behind the scenes working together. They all have access to these particular codes because there's something called a backdoor entry. All right? So when they talk about ransomware hackers to foreign governments and the untraceable nature of Bitcoin as two contributing factors, I question you're saying these foreign Places have access to stuff. Okay, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of world-renowned hackers that learned it, but I am telling you that knowledge came from the U.S. I'm going to say that again. The entire coding, software development, knowledge came from the U.S. The U.S. opened the door for other nations to bring their people in to be trained in the software languages. Not only to come in to be trained, but they were allowed to come in to work. Now, you help me to understand, help explain to me that Russia is, quote, quote, an enemy. But you're allowed to come to the U.S. on a work visa to work on U.S. corporations, computer systems, 
in the actual computer code. And now all of a sudden we want to talk about foreign hackers. Really? You don't think that we could connect that stuff? Well, maybe the average person can't connect it. But those of us in tech, we get the connection quite well. Okay? So the second part they're saying is that Bitcoin. Okay? We already discussed the nature of Bitcoin, that it was put in place. And uh, some of the main benefits is that it is a private um, digital currency system. All right. Let's get back to the article. I think we've got a way to go on this problem before we can solve it. The industry veterans said a lot of it's international legislative legislation related. You can't launder that money, even though we have an anonymous cryptocurrency now without drawing serious attention from banking institutions and bigger players in some country. So it is bolstered by an anonymous currency, but even without that, it still it would still be happening. And it really is driven by the fact that we don't have control over legislation in some of these places where it creates a safe harbor harbor, sorry, for some of these criminals. So basically what they're saying is that because the way cryptocurrency is set up right now, it's anonymous. Um, as I stated before, in the U.S., they have clamped down where if you sell your particular cryptocurrency for profit, so meaning you're taking cash, it is reportable because you have to pay taxes on it. But that's not in other countries. Other countries have not put those legislation in place, which was one of the reasons why um, the crypto trading site called Beyonce was went under tough scrutiny from the U.S. for that very reason, because people were still using that platform to do their trading. And so meaning they were able to cash stuff out, la, 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 and they were still able to be anonymous. So that's what they're trying to say with this, okay? All right. Experts have indicated that the hackers behind both the Colonial Pipeline and JBS attacks have ties to Russia. Mm-hmm. Y'all remember what I said about Russia? Mm-hmm. I'm telling y'all, they got... I, I, I can't speak for hackers. I don't know hackers like that. I'm just telling you all what I saw in the 90s, and they are the best to date that I've seen. I have I have yet to see any software developer slash coder that were as sharp as those gentlemen. Because the software language that they were using now, I'm not going to call it. I know you old heads. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's not an easy thing. It's a very difficult thing. And they did it with ease. So the stuff today, 
meaning the computer program languages used today, are not really that hard. So what I'm saying is they've had a long time to train up folk. A long time to train up folks. And I'm sure that resulted in some of the best hackers in the world. All right? So now you have to figure out for yourself, what does your spidey senses tell you? Are these hackers working alone? Are they working for someone? Is it really on some criminal stuff? Or is this a covert operation with the alphabet boys? Or is this just a part of the plan scheme to invent a cyber threat for the purpose of an excuse on why the economy will not recover and or crash and to wrap legislation and regulations around the entire crypto market in addition to ushering in a crypto slash digital fed coin and other currencies. Hmm. You noodle on that. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm just putting it out there for the possibility so you can think behind the story that they're giving you. But even if the ransomware problem is eventually solved, the need for digital protection won't go away. The cybersecurity industry is built on a dance between white hats and black hats. Hackers find one vulnerability to exploit. Security experts shut it down and then hackers move on to something new. For the potential targets of hacks, it can be a scary thought. But for investors in the space, it also means that the need for cybersecurity tools will never dry up. These criminal organizations are evolving quickly, Loring said. If we can figure out how to address ransomware, there's another thing right behind it. That's the challenge and opportunity with the sector. Okay, so again, this was an article from Forbes magazine. It came out yesterday. Private equity pushes deeper into cybersecurity as ransomware attacks ramp up. All right, so before I move on to the next update, um, when I was in class, um, uh, it was a professor and it was a um, some sort of, computer class and it was a professor we were on security and specifically we were on um security software the professor said quote and I never forgot that because I was just going into tech he said quote any of these um software virus companies, you do realize that they write viruses, right? 
And we looked at him and said, wait a minute, can you say that again? He said, quote, the software security, um, and they didn't call it ransomware back then. It was called something else back up in the day. Forgive me. Um, He said, you do realize that they are writing these computer viruses, right? Because what better way to get people to use your product unless there's a threat? So I never, ever, ever forgot that. I never forgot that. All right? So someone has to write those viruses. So it just started making me watch things a little bit more and talking to a lot of the old heads that gave me a lot of confirmation on a lot of other things. So just continue to have your spidey senses up when in the media they're talking about cyber security. There is a reason for it. Okay. Yes, the reason that they gave you um, from a disclosure perspective, absolutely. But you start to use your own discernment and deductive reasoning to see what's really the grand scale of this whole cybersecurity thing. What's really the root issue? What are they really trying to get at? And I say it's definitely to, number one, wrap regulations around the cryptocurrency and to issue in cryptocurrency from all of these other government agencies, and it can also be used as the reason why the economy has not fully recovered or, quote, quote, crash. All right, so that's on the cybersecurity. Uh, Real quick, we are going to get in a quick update on (sighs) El Salvador. This came out on June 5th. This is CNBC. El Salvador looks to become the world's first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Miami, El Salvador is looking to introduce legislation that will make it the world's first sovereign nation to adopt Bitcoin is legal tender alongside the U.S. dollar. Hmm. In a video broadcast to Bitcoin 2021, a multi-day conference in Miami being billed as the biggest Bitcoin event in history, President Bukele announced El Salvador's partnership with digital wallet company Stripe to build the country's modern financial infrastructure using Bitcoin technology. Okay, so as um, I've talked about before, and just as a reminder for for those that are not familiar with that whole uh, digital space, Bitcoin was the first one out the gate. It was uh, introduced in 2009, Again, I find that coincidence. Well, really, it was introduced 2007, 2008. I find that coincidence. 
right when the world economy crashed. But okay, if you want to tell me it's anonymous, anonymously created, all right, yeah, okay. So you say, its purpose, they claim originally, was to have some sort of independence from the government's financial system and to be anonymous, okay? If you read kind of the um, tech technical specs on it, it talks about the technology that's involved to allow your transactions to be anonymous, all right? So a big part of Bitcoin is really the technology, all right, of building a truly digital ledger. Now, here's the thing. Since then, there has been other um, altcoins, they call them alternative coins, that have been stood up and that's also trading and whose technology has surpassed Bitcoin because Bitcoin's transactions um, are slower. It, It takes a slower time versus some of the new technology, all right? So I find it really, really interesting that um, El Salvador is coming out talking about something. They're going to make Bitcoin the um, legal tender. And they're looking to build the country's modern financial infrastructure using Bitcoin technology. Next week, I will send to Congress a bill that will make Bitcoin a legal currency said Bukele, that's uh, the press of El Salvador. Jack Mallers, founder of Lightning Network Payments Platform Strike, said this will go down as the shot heard around the world for Bitcoin. What's transforming here, sorry, excuse me, family, let me take a sip of water. (laughs) Let me pause, I'm trying to get through this. And need a sip of water. Hold on. All right, that's better. Oh, had to take a sip of water, sneezed a couple of times. But anyhow, Jack Mailer, founder of the Lightning Network Payments platform, Strike, said this will go down as the shot heard round the world for Bitcoin. What's transformative here is that Bitcoin is both the greatest reserve asset ever created and a superior monetary network. Holding Bitcoin provides a way to protect developing economies from potential shocks of fiat currency inflation. I got to sip some more water on that. Mm-mm-mm. Did blood just call currency fiat and talks about inflation? Child. He making a mistake for using Bitcoin to do that. But okay, then. And the reason being, I told you that his technology is not the best. But okay, then. (laughs) Speaking from the main stage. Mahler said the move will help unleash the power, unleash 
the power and potential of Bitcoin for everyday use cases on an open network that benefits individual businesses and public sector services. El Salvador is largely cash economy where roughly 70% of the people do not have bank accounts or credit cards. Hmm. Remittances or the money sent home by migrants account for more than 20% of El Salvador's gross domestic product. Incumbent services can charge 10% or more in fees for those international transfers, which can sometimes take days to arrive and that sometimes require a physical pickup. Okay, so you see where they're going with that. Number one, they're talking about the high fees associated with each transaction. So y'all should know what we're talking about because if you got to send stuff, Western Union and, um, shoot, I forgot the other one. Honey, that's high as hell. All right? And it could take, depending on that other country's network, a couple of days. All right? Whereas, oh, and, 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 and in addition to that, uh, well, we talked about it. It's the speed. It's the speed and the fees, okay? So the digital currency space or cryptocurrency space is supposed to eliminate that. Well, number one, I definitely know it's going to eliminate the speed, okay? So transactions that we were talking about a couple of days can happen within a couple of minutes, Now, um, Bitcoin has been criticized in the tech world because if they get large volumes, and they may have changed in Bitcoin's defense, they may have changed, they may have cleaned up their little code, but um, there were complaints that Bitcoin was not the fastest because instead of it taking a minute or a couple of minutes, Um, when they were having issues, it would take hours. Now, in the grand scheme of things, is that a big deal versus what's happening right now with the days? No. But from a tech perspective, for something to happen minutes versus hours, that's a huge difference. So unless Bitcoin has stepped up its game, Other players that came on the scenes were able to process those transactions in seconds and milliseconds, all right? But the El Salvador president is making the point, he says, number one, his people, you know, they deal, they have a cash economy. So this works out for them. All right, so let's go back to the article. Bitcoin isn't backed by an asset, nor does it have the full faith and backing of any one government. Its value is derived in part from the fact that it is digitally scarce. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins in existence. Okay, so... Again, I'm side-eyeing 
who made the decision to cap it at 21 million? Hmm. I'm just saying it's just something to make you think, okay? And this is also the excuse anybody that ever hears um cryptocurrency people say that unlike fiat currency that there is a limit on these digital currencies, that's what they mean. So in other words, each digital currency, so whether that's Bitcoin, whether that's Ethereum, etc., etc., once they stood up and came into existence, they automatically set a cap on how many are generated. Supposedly and allegedly, that's already built in their code. So what happens when the demand for those digital coins or cryptocurrencies gets a lot when people want them a lot? Because there's only 21 million, this is in the case of Bitcoin, that makes the value go up, all right? So that's why people have been, you know, going on a craze with cryptocurrency because there is a cap on how much is produced. So when there is a cap on something, that means it can its value will always hold. Unlike the currencies of the world, and we could use the dollar as one of them, where there is no cap. And why it takes more dollars to buy the same thing and hence why inflation is the way it is, all right? So this is why people feel that digital currency is the way to go. Um, all of the uh, cryptocurrency people will stand by that, okay? But as I hope we are doing critical thinking anytime we're, or we are looking into what is put out there, the flip side of that, although its initial intent was to give folks um, to be anonymous, the ability to be anonymous in their transactions and what they hold. Now these government agencies are getting their feet in the door and they are going to destroy that by wrapping legislation around it so they can tax you and also know exactly what you have. And then some say that they can also control it, all right? So some say, for example, in China, China has some sort of um, social scoring. And so that social scoring is pretty much how good of a citizen are you? Do you get on the internet and talk mess about the government on a regular basis? Uh, We got to deduct points from your uh, social score, okay? Um, Have you been, you got some type of uh, criminal record? Are you a bad driver? And the list can go on and on and on and on. We're going to keep dinging your social score. 
And that social score can be linked to what type of uh, credit financial worthiness are you, all the way up to impacting you getting a particular job. Now, China literally already has that social scoring in place. Now, anybody that has been to China, um, they're no joke with the censorship. And as much as the, uh, the U.S. gets on my last exposed nerve for being sneaky with their censorship, China does not care. They put it right out there. Literally, if you are in China and you are trying to research things, if they don't want you to see it, you ain't going to see it, honey. You can put in something simple and they're going to give you the Chinese answer that they want you to have. Uh, when I was in China for uh, vacation and I was trying to um, finish up a paper and I couldn't even research using their internet because I couldn't get back the information that I needed because it kept bringing me back Chinese stuff that had nothing to do with what I was researching on. The censorship is no joke in China. Even the tour guides, we would ask them certain questions and they would look around to see who was watching and they would get so uncomfortable that they would never answer the question. The censorship is deep in China. Now, y'all, that was back in... 1998, 1999, something like that. So I'm just saying. All right. While details are still forthcoming about how the rollout will work, CNBC is told that El Salvador has assembled a team of Bitcoin leaders to help build a new financial ecosystem with Bitcoin as the base layer. Um, Bukele's New Ideas Party has control over the country's legislative assembly, so passage of this bill is very likely. It was an inevitable, but here already, the first country on track to make Bitcoin legal currency, said Adam Back, CEO of Blockstream. Back said he plans to contribute technologies like liquid and satellite infrastructure to make El Salvador a model for the world. We're pleased to help El Salvador on its journey towards the adoption of Bitcoin standards, he said. This isn't El Salvador's first move into Bitcoin. In March, Strike launched its mobile payment app there, and it quickly became the number one downloaded app in the country. Okay, so those of you that don't know, a lot of those third world countries, they use mobile apps um, as a huge form of payment. Bukele has been very popular with his populist New Idea Party sweeping recent elections. However... The new assembly recently came under fire after it ousted the attorney general and top judges. 
The move prompted the U.S. Agency for International Development to pull aid from El Salvador's National Police and Public Information Institute instead of rerouting funds to civil society groups. Chow, now let me take another sip of my water. Chow. Now this is just me. This is just my spidey senses. You all are not familiar. A great read, read is, um, I'm trying to get the book right. The Story of an Economic Hitman. And that book talks about how nations are targeted if they don't follow what the bankers want them to do from a monetary policy perspective. So, hmm, this man is pro-Bitcoin. Hmm, he wants to use it as legal uh, tender. Hmm, and the reason he wants to use it as legal tender because he wants to hedge it against Fiat currency and inflation. Hmm. And then he was under attack, his people now, after he had some attorney general and top judges, supposedly and allegedly, under some fraudulent activities, and the U.S., swooped in and started taking away or rerouting funds to civil society groups. Hmm. If you're not familiar with that book, um, Economic Hitman, I'm just saying, sips on water, my spidey senses are up. All right, so that's the end of this article. And again, that's from CNBC. It came out on June 5th. Economic, I'm sorry, El Salvador looks to become the world's first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Okay, so this is the last one, family. (laughs) I know I'm sorry to keep y'all so long. I try to um, build these up. So I don't have to keep putting out little mini, mini ones. But here we go. This came out today. Bank of England holds verdict on digital pound dub Britcoin. This is from Yahoo Finance. A range of issues and uncertainties remain in the way of the creation of a digital pound. Huh? Digital pound? There's already a digital dollar. Hmm. El Salvador's Perez is partnering up with Bitcoin, and he's like just straight up putting it out there that he wants it as legal currency to hedge against the what? The dollar. And there's one thing that bankers do not like, Remember, we went over the structure of bankers where Powell is the bookie. Um, you know, 
and we talked about the head of the five families, those other banks, et cetera, et cetera, and how that all rolls up. But one thing that total structure does not like when people have an issue with the dollar, because the dollar has been deemed the world reserve currency, right? So that, so again, I am recommending that book about the economic hitman. So he put it out there that that's why he won't Bitcoin. Now, mind you, when Bitcoin first hit the scene, that's what it was supposed to originally be about, an alternative to fiat currency and, and, and an alternative to the banking system in general. All right. A range of issues and uncertainties remain in the way of the creation of a digital pound, and the Bank of England has not made a decision on its viability according to a discussion paper published by the bank on Monday. So look at, at the Bank of England, y'all, as kind of like their Fed Reserve. All right. Look at look at it in that aspect. The paper was released, because remember our Fed Reserve, they supposed to be putting out a paper this summer. So I'm waiting on that paper. And we gonna go through that paper, hunty. And I might read through um, Britt's paper and do another follow-up on them, okay? May, I may look through the Bank of England's paper to see what they talking about. But we are waiting on the U.S. Fed Reserve to print their paper regarding digital currency. The paper was released with the purpose of broadening debate on central bank digital currencies, CBDC, Potential use in the UK. Remember, that's exactly what they already talked about. The Fed Reserve already talked about. Uh, Fed Reserve Chairman Powell has talked about several times. It explores the role of money in the economy, public policy, objectives and implications, regulations, and the impact of microeconomic stability. Right? We live in an increasingly digitized world where the way we make payments and use money is changing rapidly, says Andrew Bailey, government of the Bank of England. The uh, prospect of stable coins as a means of payment and the emerging propositions of the central bank digital currency have generated a host of issues that central banks, governments, and society as a whole need to carefully consider and address. It is essential that we ask the difficult and pertinent questions when it comes to the future of these new forms of digital money. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest risks of a digital pound, the bank said, would be the potential for digital money to undermine confidence in money and payments in the financial system as a whole. Mm -hmm. Ensuring confidence in Sterling entails the provision of safe money as a risk-free means of payment for households, businesses, and the wider financial system. And it entails the security and reliability of those payments. 
if a stable coin were to fail to honor its obligations or suffer an operational failure, such as a breach of privacy, this could undermine public confidence in money and payment and in the financial system as a whole, the, as a whole, rather, the paper said. All right. <clears throat> in an illustrative example modeled by the bank, a fifth of all UK retail deposits might transfer to a new form of digital money. As a result of this potential outflow, commercial banks would have to adapt their balance sheets in response to maintain their current current liquidity ratios. It also said any stablecoin-based payment chain should be, huh, what? It should be what, huh, regulated to standards equivalent to those applied to traditional payment chains. In April, the bank said it would launch a task force in collaboration with the Treasury exploring the viability of a digital pound dub Britcoin by the press. At the time, the Bank of England said any uh, central bank digital currency would be a new form of digital money that could be used by both households and businesses. It would exist alongside cash and bank deposits rather than replacing them. The government and the BOE have not yet made a decision on whether to introduce a central bank digital currency in the UK and will engage widely with stakeholders to discuss the benefit, risk, and practicalities of doing so, the Bank of England said. Like other forms of cryptocurrency, the central bank digital currency are a form of virtual money that uses an electronic record or digital token to represent cash. It is issued and regulated by a country's monetary authority, which in the UK is the Bank of England. Okay, so they're again, they're confirming what the Bank of England is about. Um, it's equivalent to... Um, the Fed Reserve, and um, <clears throat> just giving you a synopsis of the technology, uh, electronic record or digital token to represent cash. This is a key difference to cryptos like Bitcoin, which are decentralized and unregulated. Unreg- are you getting the theme on Bitcoin? This is a key difference to cryptos like Bitcoin, which are decentralized and unregulated. Uh Uh-huh. Retail central bank digital currency can be directly held by citizens and businesses. This is a step change from the current system where money is held at banks. Pay attention, family. Pay attention. Instead of going to a cash machine to withdraw money from, say, Barclays, your money would instead be held directly on your mobile phone. Sips, water. Remember when we read in El Salvador, them blood, them people, what do they use as the number one way 
to do transactions for money? Wasn't it a mobile app? Ciao. Interbank or wholesale central bank digital currency is restricted to use by financial institutions like banks. It is used for big-ticket bank-to-bank transfers and financial settlement processes. Mm -hmm, That is correct. Central bank digital currency represents a new frontier for central bank stimulus. Mm. Y'all heard that? Central bank digital currency represents a new frontier for central bank stimulus, potentially acting as a conduit for policies. Child, child, let me clutch my pearls, the southern woman in me, clutching pearls and gathering my doggone self. Child, I've been telling y'all. Woo! Let me back up. Let me back up. Let me back up. Central bank digital currencies represents a new frontier for central bank stimulus, potentially acting as a conduit for policies such as stimulus checks, emergency loans, and this is the one that I just want straight up bombs and explosions on because I told y'all it's coming. And universal basic income. Boom. Central banks could induce more powerful direct money drops to stimulate the economy rather than tinkering with interest rates. Boom. Child. Everything I said they were going to do, they are doing it. Each and last, every single thing. Because remember, when the STEMIs in the U.S. first start being rolled out against progress, a.k.a. Congress, had put in the bill Digital currency payment for that STEMI. And I don't know who got spooked, who got scared, or they weren't ready. They wiped it out. They backed it out. I also told y'all that the STEMI was the gateway to universal basic income. And the STEMIs are really a sign that the economy is weak. And it is going to cause inflation. So now here you got a a Bank of England saying, child, I'm clutching my pearls as a Southern woman. Can't get no better than this. You got, whoo, child, the Bank of England saying that they want to use it for central bank stimulus. Stimulus check, emergency loans, and universal basic income. Central banks could induce more powerful directed money drops to stimulate the economy rather than tinker with interest rates. Many backers of digital currencies say banking this way is more efficient. 
child, I am clutching my pearls. Baby, I'm clutching them. I'm going to have to get a new pair. Instead of relying on intermediaries such as commercial banks, money can be transferred directly to the recipient and payments can be made in real time. There is also an argument that central bank digital currency helps present illicit or fraudulent activity. There go that fraudulent activity. That's that's what that all that hacking stuff is about, family. Central bank digital currencies make it easier for central banks to keep track of the exact child clutching my pearls and gathering myself. Woo, baby. Central bank digital currency make it easier for central banks to keep track of the exact location of a unit of currency. Cash, meanwhile, can be laundered or lost more easily. So, didn't I have set up and took and told y'all that the flip side of digital currency is that they would be able to track everything? Child. Mm, mm, mm. So, they want to try to convince me that they're not going to um, outlaw cash. Okay, now, if you say, if you say so, boo. Potential drawbacks includes, here we go, the invasion of privacy associated with this sort of surveillance. Governments could obtain access to private individual spending data, for example. Absolutely. Another fear is that central bank digital currency could herald the onset of a fully cashless society which could harm poor, rural, and elderly communities who rely largely on cash. Child, woo! This came out today, hunty! Yahoo Finance, Bank of England, holds verdict on digital Pound dub Brit coin. So, honey, who chow, honey, chow, honey, chow. I know I made this longer than necessary. I wanted to uh, get you all caught up. Um, I'm going to go through the Bank of England's little white paper chow and see um, if that warrants another um, drop. Child, I did not expect for them to admit that up in that article. Hunty, hunty. So there you have it, family. There should be no doubt in anyone's mind. It ain't about if they going to do digital slash cryptocurrency. It's just a matter of when. I say look for, I say at a minimum within the next five years. It would not surprise me as if uh, by 2022, Next year, they are bringing it online. So um, I hope you find this information well. I hope it wasn't too long (laughs) for you. I hope you get something out of it. I'm putting this out so you can be aware as they are talking about this stuff in the media, 
you can start using discernment and putting the pieces together yourself and doing more additional research on your part as well. So uh, thank you so much, family. I wish everyone well. You have a good day. This is WTUZ Radio Podcast, and I am your host, Rhonda. Peace and love, family.